My heart is full, and um, it's like we work for a long time, and then we come to this night, and uh, the Lord's already done so much. I'm not sure what all I can add, uh, if anything, but we believe Jesus wants to continue the work that he started. And uh, before we get into the message, I do want to thank uh, my wife, who's all the way in the back, back there. Minda, would you raise your hand? And uh, she's behind the scenes often. <laughs> One time, pastor asked me to preach here at the church, and, and I was so excited. I mean, I, I do get excited. I was so excited, and I was in the kitchen telling my wife, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to preach. I've got these thoughts of five thoughts, and I'm going through all the sermons with her. And she finally looked at me. She said, man, honey, that sounds great. She said, choose one of them, preach half of it. <laughs> and, uh, but anyhow, that's a good wife right there, and I'm going to try to obey tonight. But I want to thank her and, and my children who never complain at all. They don't complain at all. All the work and the travel and just the busyness of the ministry, they never complain at all, and I want to thank them. I want to thank my friends uh, that are in the room, and uh, many youth pastors, pastors, and friends of a lifetime here in the room, my friends who have poured out their heart in, in preaching, and that have really just been used of God, all these men. I think of Brother Joe Brown, I was thinking of this on the platform, he's a friend of mine, the first time I ever had a phone conversation with him. Very first conversation. He called me. I was in West Virginia, and he called me, and he said, um, Pastor Joe Brown, of course, I had heard of him and had heard of his dad. He said, I'm Pastor Joe Brown, and we want you to come to the Marion Avenue Baptist Church to preach the Our Time Youth Conference. And I was stunned that he would want me to come, and I said, I said, great, I'd, I'd be honored, I'd be thrilled, and we kind of talked for a few minutes and, and hung up. Then my phone rang a few minutes later. You remember this, don't you? It rang a few minutes later. He said, wait, wait, wait. I said, what is it? He said, I, I have a rule. He said, I, I don't let anybody preach in the church who I've never heard before. He said, and I've never heard you before. He said, would you send me a, a CD or a tape or something, and then we can, we can work it out. And I said, I said, okay. And so I, I hung up, and I called Ted Dahl, Ted or Andy, I forget which one, I had just preached at their tournament, and I said, hey, do you happen to have that recording? And we kind of, I didn't have any tapes or CDs or anything, and, and I sent it off to Brother Brown, and then I just waited. Like, what if he doesn't call me back, <laughs> you know? You're like, ah, no, nah, never mind, we don't want you to come. <laughs> but he did call, and that was the start of a, of a wonderful friendship. And thank you, Brother Brown, especially for, for this afternoon. What a, great, what a great truth. I want to thank our teenagers who do so much work in the, and many of the youth groups here, the Spanish teens, the Chicagoland teens, we all pitch in. Our teens do so, so much of the food prep and the midway, and, and uh, I just want to thank them for that. I want to thank our pastor, who I love very much, for allowing us to have this meeting and for being a, um, just for being the leader, the shepherd of this church, and I want to thank him for it. I've told this story, I've worn it out, but I'm a little nervous, so I'll tell it and then I'll move on. This is going to be the last time I tell a story for a while. It didn't happen too long ago, but, uh, but I've told it everywhere I've been, but it just was so surreal. Speaking of our pastor, I owe a lot to him. I owe a lot to him. 
Just a few months ago, well, maybe two months ago at the Our Time Youth Conference, I was driving to get to Our Time, and, and it, was, um, it was a uh, hectic day, to say the least. I had had a lot of airport difficulty and airport trouble and was here and there, and just the two flights canceled and four flights delayed, and so it was just, it was just a long trip, and I was already late, and, um, and I had gotten a rental car, and I was tired. I hadn't slept much at all, maybe just 30, 35 minutes uh, at the most that whole day because of all the delays, and I was in this rental car, and I was, I was driving to Washington, Iowa to be with you. And I'm driving to Iowa, and, um, and let's just say that, that if you're a police officer in the room, I'd like for you to uh, step out and uh, don't pay attention. Let's just say that I was speeding, okay? And I was doing like 100 miles an hour, and I have this terrible habit that I, I despise seatbelts. And so uh, you can ask my wife, I mean, I just, I will, I will wait for the beeping to stop. I don't care if it goes for 20 minutes. They're not going to tell me what to do. And, uh, but I despise those seatbelts, and, and so I'm flying down the road trying to get to Washington, Iowa. I have no seatbelt on. I'm going 100 miles an hour at times. I'm sure it was less than that, but I know at times I was doing 100 miles an hour. And I happened to be uh, periodically texting while I was driving, all right? So that's the big three. I was breaking all the laws that you can break. Speeding, no seatbelt, texting. I was texting Brother John Fear from Marion Avenue. I said, uh, he was my host, and I, I sent him the text. I still have it on my phone. I said, uh, pray for me. I have a rental car, and I am flying. I mean, I told him that. I am flying. I said, pray I don't get a speeding ticket, uh, but I have liberty about it. I love it how Christians can get away with anything if they add, but I have liberty about it. <laughs> and, uh, and I had liberty about it, you know, as I was flying, and we came to a road detour, and, uh, and I had to get off of the, the main road. Now I'm on a gravel road in Iowa. I love the state of Iowa. There's a lot of farms there, a lot of gravel roads there, and, uh, and I'm still flying, no seatbelt, texting, talking back and forth to different people, and I kid you not, I look up in the middle of the road. I mean, I wasn't doing 100, I was doing like 65 miles an hour. I look up in the middle of the road, and it was like my whole life flashed in front of my eyes. A cow, a big, <laughs> I'm serious, a big Iowa, <laughs> a big Iowa dairy cow was just standing in the middle of the road. Just standing there, just staring at me. And, and I slam on the brakes of my car. My, I'm fishtailing. I'm freaking out. My life is flashing in front of my eyes. Several things I need to go back and fix. But my life is flashing in front of my eyes. I come within, come within 10 feet of this cow. It didn't move at all. I mean, it didn't move. Get it out. It didn't move at all. It's, it's just staring at me like, you are an idiot. And... Uh, I did stop, and, and again, it, it's goofy, but my heart was pounding, my hands were sweating, I was, I mean, it was, my legs were weak. If you've ever, anybody here ever have a near-death experience, anything like that, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it just took me a minute to compose myself, and, and uh, literally, literally, just a few feet away, in my mind, from death, I could see the, the headlines, terrorist attacks Midwestern agriculture. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. 
I, I, I composed myself. I, the, cows, the cow never did move, all right? I kind of got around it, and, uh, and I had to stop again. I was, just, I was just freaking out. And 60 seconds later, my phone rings, and, and it's Pastor Wilkerson. You know Pastor Wilkerson. He's the nicest man on planet Earth, literally. And, uh, and I answer the phone. He said, hey, buddy. <laughs> Just that gentle, you know, calming, soothing voice. And I needed it because I was freaking out. But uh, hey, buddy. I said, Pastor, I almost died. What? <laughs> and uh, I said, a cow, a cow. I almost hit a cow. And I forget all that he said, the whole conversation, but I think he may, may have said something like, you know, take it low and slow or something. He said something. I, I forget the whole conversation, but I remember this. He said this. He said, Abdel, I knew you were preaching uh, today at some point, this afternoon, tonight. He said, I've been praying for you. Been praying for you. He said, I just decided, you know, see what you were doing. I, I decided to give you a call when I was done praying. I didn't know if you were able to take the call, but I've been praying for you. Man, I'm glad my pastor has a prayer life. We had a brief conversation. I hung up the phone, and I did think to myself, could it be that I was a prayer away? A prayer away from death. Could it be? Just a prayer away. I wonder if we're sitting here tonight, I wonder how many of you, you're a sermon away. You're an invitation away. You're just 45 minutes or so away from... A pinnacle moment, a decision that would determine everything. I got to Iowa, got there safely, and uh, still when I arrived, I was nervous. I was still just, re I mean, that has such an impact on you. And I walked into the church immediately. I don't know who it was. I wish I knew who it was. But I walked into the church immediately, and somebody said, Brother Judah, how are you doing? One of the laymen in the church. And I said, I said, uh, I said good. I said, actually, not really. I said, man, I am freaked out. He said, what? I said, I almost died. He said, how? I said, I almost ran into a cow on a detour road. He said, oh yeah, was that road so-and-so? He knew where the cow was. <laughs> I said, yes, please, go move it. And this is what he said. He said, he said, uh, he said oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You would have been gone. He said, that, that would have killed you. He said, last time that happened. <laughs> And I'm thinking, Lassa, what is going on in Iowa that we need to know about? But they knew I was coming, strategically placed. No, but they said, he said, last time that happened, when that happened last time, he said, I knew a man that the, they hit a cow like that, it went through the winter, it decapitated him. Now try preaching after that, brother. I got thinking, man, that, you know, could you imagine, and just my weird mind, could you imagine going to heaven, and, and I'm there instantaneously to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, and I'm there, and I'm there, and there, maybe there's a, a believer from some uh, uh, persecuted country, you know. <laughs> and, and, and obviously, they've given their life and service, maybe an underground church or something, and they've given their life. And then maybe I would come across somebody who, who was just a saint of God and got a disease and was faithful to the end and witnessing to people, you know, as their body was racked in a hospital and they look at me and, how'd you get here? <laughs> like a cow. I was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> was speeding on a road in Iowa. Long story now, but anyways. 
How many of you come from a come from a good Christian home? Would you raise your hand? Good Christian home. Good Christian home. Leave your hands up. How many of you would say I, I um, have a good pastor, good church, youth pastor, bus captain, people, people? How many of you leave your hands up? But but here's what I'm saying: there there are good people, Brother Judah, in my life. Good people in my life. Well, this message is for you tonight. Would you put your hands down, turn to Job chapter number one. Job chapter number one in our Bible. And let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. I'm going to read an unusual passage here in the beginning. I don't understand it all, but we'll read it. And we'll get to our text verse. The Bible says in verse number 6, this is a message that God has placed on my heart here in the last couple of months. I believe it's a message for our generation. I really do. I believe it's a message certainly for the teenagers and the adults in this room, but God's just placed it on my heart for such a time as this, as I've been privileged to, to think about it and to preach it. Job chapter 1, verse number 6, the Bible says there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? But there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand, so Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Understand, he went forth, stay standing, leave your Bibles open. But he left the presence of God with one mission, and that was to destroy and discourage and defeat a good man named Job. He unleashes every allowable tactic, everything that God the Father would allow Satan unleashes on this man Job. Let's read it in verse number 13. There was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a messenger unto Job and said the oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels, and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. And while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine, in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead. 
and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this Job said not, nor charged God foolishly. I want to draw your attention tonight to verse number 19. Verse number 19. Where the Bible says, And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men. They are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I want to preach a message to you tonight. No real title, but if I had to title it, it would be a satanic whirlwind. A satanic whirlwind. And let's pray. Father, I pray that you would please bless this message. Lord, simple thoughts. Would you please empower them? God, would you please help it to build on this afternoon's messages and on the work that you've already begun in so many hearts, God. Would you make this evening just give it a divine capstone like only you can. And we'll thank you for it, God. I believe in this generation, I believe that the hope of so much is right, right here. It's right here. Because of that, there's an incredible target. And the people in this room, especially the young men and the young ladies, help us to listen, Lord. I pray that you'd eliminate distractions, but God, my prayer as it always is, as I preach to the ear, God, please, would you preach to the heart and accomplish your work in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. You can be seated, but please leave your Bibles open to Job chapter number one. Job is a good man. Those of you that raised your hand and said, I have a good parent, good mom and dad, good youth pastor, good pastor back home. Those of you that identified there, I want you to know that if Job's children were in the room, if they were here at youth conference, they would raise their hand and they would no doubt think about Job and Job's wife and they would say, yeah, yeah, man, I've got a good set of parents and just like you. Satan sets his sights on Job. He wants to defeat Job. He wants to defeat this good man. By the way, we're at youth conference. We often preach to you and talk about the teenagers, but just for a moment, uh, think with me about your mom and dad, about your pastor, about your youth pastor. You realize that Satan would want nothing more uh, than to defeat them. He sets his eyes on Job, and he begins to have this conversation with God. And we know something that Satan doesn't know. Because we have the whole Bible and because we've read the whole story, we know, we know something here that Satan doesn't know. We know that he'll have another opportunity to defeat Job, but he doesn't know that. And so he, he takes every opportunity, he unleashes every allowable tactic he destroys his wealth and he destroys his servants and he, he wrecks so much of his life. And then, believe it or not, Satan, who does not play fair in an effort to defeat Job, a good man, he looks at his children. He sets a target 
on Job's children. And he says, I'll visit their house. By the way, young people, Satan will attack the young. Look at verse number 19. It says, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house. And look at it, and it fell upon the young men. These are Job's children, his family. The Bible says, and they are dead. It has long been a tactic of our enemy to discourage and derail even the best Christians by targeting uh, their family, by attacking their children, by getting into the home and getting into your world in an effort uh, to defeat these good people. I've known preachers who have compromised and in some cases quit altogether because while they stood strong, somehow, some way, Satan got into the home. He got into the children. And before you knew it, uh, the children were gone or they went hard left or whatever. And even preachers have uh, quit or compromised. I've known good parents. Listen to me, young people. This message, it is for you, but it's for your mom and dad and your pastors back as much as it's for you. I've known good parents who had decades of faithful service and, and who loved God and were everything, not perfect, but everything that they, they should have been. And I've seen Satan get into teenagers' lives and enter into the home. And next thing you know, good parents are discouraged. I've seen them separate. I've seen them get divorced. And, and it started in the home. It started when Satan, who hates us, but teenager, he doesn't just hate us, he hates God. Do you understand that? When Satan said, he doesn't play fair, when, when he said, okay, okay, they're strong, I'll go after the young people. Satanic whirlwind. Look at verse number 19. The Bible says, came a great wind from the wilderness. And look at what it says. It smote the four corners of the house. You see the whirlwind there? All around Job's house. All around the young people in the house. The four corners. The four posts. This wind was swirling. This wind that came from Satan. That was an effort uh, to destroy and to defeat. It was on the four corners of the house. All around it. Hard to keep up. Hey, isn't that the way it is with temptation? Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that how, how the devil works? Uh, it is all around us. I'm a parent, and as much as I try to safeguard, as much as I try to keep worldly influences out of the house, man, it's like everywhere you turn. I mean, it's coming. It's everywhere. Satan's the prince and the power of the air. I don't have to say to you, Brother Brown said it well enough. I mean, every, I jotted some things down. Uh, he's in our, he's in our uh, internet. He's in our, our phone our social media, even our cartoons today, this satanic attack, uh, this whirlwind, uh, places like TikTok and Disney and streaming services and even commercials everywhere you look, on the billboards, in our music, uh, in our culture, all of it, teenager, watch this, all of it is on purpose, all of, it, all of it is by design, it is all targeted at you in an effort to collapse the house. Hard to keep out. It's almost like there's not enough walls you can put up to keep the wind from swirling around the house. 
Satan's not playing games. He's looking, teenager, to collapse your life. He's looking to collapse your future. He's looking to collapse your family. He's looking to collapse your friends. He's looking to collapse your youth group. He's looking to collapse your church. He's not playing games. Somebody once said, senior sem this year, one of the young people submitted a question, and uh, we had a question uh, answer time, and somebody submitted a question. They said, Brother Judah, do you think that if Satan were to repent, and if Satan were to, you know, ask for forgiveness, do you think that God would save Satan? Do you think that's what? It was just a rhetorical, just a, a hypothetical question. First of all, we know the answer. That could never happen, because the word of God already tells us Satan's end. One of these days, he will be changed. One of these days, he will be thrown into the lake of fire forever. But hypothetically speaking, let me give you the hypothetical answer. No. Let me tell you why. Because Satan will never repent. Because Satan, Satan will never ask for forgiveness. You realize, teenager, we're talking about Satan tonight. We talked about Satan this afternoon. He is the very root of bitterness. He is the very essence of evil. He hates God. And because he hates God, he hates you. I've often said that one of these days he'll be thrown into hell for a thousand years, burning, screaming, in torture for a thousand years. And you would think, that after that thousand years, man, he would run to Jesus. He would get on his knees. You would think that he would say, I'm sorry, please don't send me back. But you know and I know that is not what happens. The second his feet hit the ground again, the second the flames are off of his body, he gathers the armies of the world in one last ditch effort to defeat God. He hates God. And he hates you. He doesn't play fair. I want you to see some things. Verse number 19, first of all, I want you to see that this whirlwind was designed for you. It was sent on purpose with one goal in mind, and that was to destroy the young people in Job's life. Teenager, our enemy has a target on your back. He is going after you. He is going after your life. He is going after your little brothers and sisters. He's going after your testimony. You have not snuck by. You have not blended in. He knows who you are. He's got a target on your back. He knows that if he could collapse your life, Life, it would discourage so many others. Thinking of teens right now. I've been a youth pastor for 19 years. Thinking of teens right now. And I could tell the stories. I could tell the stories all night long of young people who got caught up in this whirlwind. Their life was collapsed. I won't call her name. Minda, you know. Years ago, I had a young lady in the youth group. She could sing beautifully. She had a Beautiful voice. God had gifted her with a beautiful voice. Sang in our choir every Sunday. Went off to Bible college. Came to youth conference every year. Went off to Bible college. And we started to hear. Boy, she's not doing well. But word started coming back. She's hanging out with the wrong people. Her, her parents started saying, Brother Judah, would you pray for her? Brother Judah, would you call her? Brother Judah, would you? And I tried. I tried to do what I could. But, you know, she's just ghosted. I'm, she's just gone. Soon I heard that she left Bible college and was back in our home area, but she wasn't in church. And I sat there and I watched every Sunday night, every Sunday night as her mom and dad, before the invitation would even start, they would come to the altar, they would weep together, they would, they would stay, they would pray, and they never said it out loud, but everybody in the church knew what they were praying about. And 
I started to hear she got a tattoo. I started to hear she's running wild. One day she knocked on my door in the office. I opened up the door and she came into the office several months pregnant. Standing there, tears in her eyes, Brother Joe. She didn't have to say anything. I knew the whole story. By the way, the guy, he was gone. He was gone. Just gone. And that's the way it is. Hey, ladies, that's the way it is. He'll, he'll, he'll use you and he'll take off. And that's what happened to her. Of all the things she could have said, she looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, Brother Judah, do you think I could ever sing in the choir again? I stood up and I ran to her and I said, absolutely. I said, listen, you come back to church and you can, I'll call the choir director. And we, she got back in church and baby was born. We would have choir practice on Wednesday night and back then I was in the choir. <laughs> they were hard up, but I was in the choir and we'd have choir practice on Wednesday night and her son and some of my kids, they would just run through the church. They would just terrorize the church. They would just... On Wednesday night, one Wednesday night, she came up to me. She said, Brother Judah, so after choir practice, the kids were running around. She said, Brother Judah, and she called her son's name out. She said, Brother Judah, if you'll be his youth pastor, she said, I'll make him listen. I'll make him listen. She said, I should have listened. I should have. I'll make him listen. Listen, there's a young lady, and I'm glad some things have been put back together, and I'm glad for the grace and mercy of God. But if she were here tonight, she would tell you, man, this whirlwind, this satanic attack, it is everywhere. And if you're not careful, it is designed to collapse the house, the young people. This whirlwind is designed for you, designed for you. It is destructive. It is targeted. I want you to look at verse number 19. Not only the whirlwind, but I want you to see where it comes from. Do you see it? Where does it come from? It says there came a great wind from the... Where does it come from? Yeah, the wilderness. I got thinking about that word wilderness, and I thought, you know, the wilderness is a far-off place. The, the, the wilderness, I'm talking about satanic attack. Stay with me. The message will make sense in a moment. I'm talking about satanic attack that, is, that has your name on it. Your name on it. Amen. And it's coming from the wilderness. It is coming from a far off place. This represents all the foreign influences that Satan throws at us. Things entering our life and mind that are totally contrary to the type of things we would hear at a youth conference. Totally contrary to things in the word of God. Totally contrary to the way that we were raised by our mom and our dad. And things we were taught in Sunday school and the, the good Christian music that we hear uh, as we grow up. I'm talking about wilderness attack. Things coming from left field. Uh, things entering our lives that are contrary to everything we were taught as a child, philosophies, celebrities that are totally anti-Bible, anti-church, this foreign attack that comes from a far off place, not agreeable with what your church would teach, not agreeable with what the word of God says, not agreeable with what the preacher preaches every single Sunday, these celebrities that influence our actions, this philosophy that influences our minds and thoughts, I'm telling you, teenager, there's a great wind from the wilderness, and it is coming at us. Let me, you know what? A picture speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? And I don't use a lot of media when I preach. 
we're talking about we're talking about things that enter our lives totally contrary to how we were raised totally contrary to the word wilderness things go ahead and throw the first picture up there hey teenager that's from the wilderness Listen to me, young people. Now, let me tell you something. The tides, they changed several years ago. I mean, you used to preach on this stuff. Everybody understood it. Everybody agreed. But I started sensing some tension years ago when we would start just preaching, thus saith the Lord, tiptoe on this subject a little bit, preach the whole counsel of God, say things like it's unnatural, it's an abomination. Understand, teenager, God doesn't hate people. We shouldn't hate people. Not at all. They need the Lord. It's not the people. It's the practice. The practice. The Bible says that the practice is sin. The Bible says that it's a sin against the body. The Bible says that it is unnatural. The Bible says that, and put the picture back up there, please. But watch this. Hey, it's everywhere, isn't it? Huh? Four corners of the house. Everywhere you look, everywhere you turn, everywhere you go. I mean, they have a month and they have all kinds. You can hardly even see a commercial on TV now. And there's young people who entertain preaching like this. It can be called hateful. It can be characterized as, you know, and let me just stop and say, and I'm just going to say it. I was nervous when I started. I'm getting over it right now. We challenge the teenagers to boldly go, boldly go, boldly go. Hey, preacher. Hey, youth pastor. Hey, pastor. Let's boldly preach, boldly preach, boldly preach. Come on now. What are we doing, man? This stuff is swirling around our, our, our house and it will collapse. And teenager, you understand something. Understand something. It's straight from the wilderness. Straight from the wilderness. Anti-God, anti-Bible. Man, they need the Lord. They need a soul winner. They need a track. They need a church. But the practice of what you see on this screen is anti-God, anti-Bible, and it's everywhere. Everywhere. Put the next picture up there. Worldly philosophy. Subtle philosophy that, that just creeps in. Sometimes you have to stop thinking so much and just go where your heart takes you. Young people start walking down the wrong road, Brother Thompson, and they start dating somebody they shouldn't date. They start making obvious choices that are wrong, and, and people come to them, and, and they say, man, uh, you're going the wrong way. They try to pray with them, try to counsel them, and in the back of the mind of the young people, they say, well, this is right. This feels right. I, think, I just have to stop thinking and go where my heart takes me. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart will condemn you, teenager, but the Bible says that God is great than your heart when your heart condemns you this isn't about how I feel what I think is right this is about the word of God there's a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death but we have bought in we bought into this stuff go to the next one sometimes following your heart means losing your mind go to the next one Obvious club scene, craziness, all kinds of weird lights and whatever, hands raised. Listen, look, this is an obvious club scene. I'm sure that it is. But it could be the next contemporary church that pops up in town. Could be. Pretty close to it. 
Could be the next church that you can't wait to get out of your youth group. You can't wait to graduate. Can't wait to get out from underneath all the rules so that you can go someplace and be free. Listen, teenager, I'm just saying, if you're buying this, that is straight from the wilderness and there is a strange wind blowing in our day and age where Christian teenagers are getting sucked into this kind of thing and I'm telling you, you think you're smart, you think you're free, you think you have liberty and Satan sits back and he says, man, I've thrown this thing, but it's got their name on it. It's got, they are targeted. Go to the next one. I don't even know what it is. Oh, here we go. Talking about worldly philosophies. One would go mad if one took the Bible seriously, but to take it seriously, one must be already mad. I received a text message today. 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 Pray for this person. You read the body of the text. And it's a snapshot of a conversation. I don't even know who the people are, but it's a snapshot of a conversation where one teenager is talking and they're talking atheistic things. I don't know if God is real. I don't know if the Bible can be trusted. I don't know. And by the way, Brother Joe starts preaching on the King James Bible. People start freaking out, putting it online. Hey, it's from the wilderness, that kind of attitude. I mean, that is straight from the wilderness. And and it used to be that only the most avowed atheist, nobody in the church would think like, this but now all over this room because of the influence of social media because of these algorithms that brother brown freaked me out over this afternoon because of all of this stuff it's in our head isn't it it's in our head straight from the wilderness celebrity philosophy go to the next picture here we go i know i know christian teenagers and it is their goal in life. You listening to me? Their goal in life to work for him. Elon Musk needs the Lord. And I and I and listen, he's an entrepreneur. I think that's great. He's got some political views that, that I'm sure a handful of them I would agree with. But I want you to see what's going on right there. I mean, he's sitting there getting high. He's got no shame. As far as I know, he's an agnostic. As far as I know, he's got multiple children out of wedlock and all different ladies. And, and here and there are Christian teenagers who sit in this room and say, Man, my goal, my my goal in life is to own a Tesla. My goal in life is to work for Elon Musk. And watch this. The moment, and I'm just gonna say this. The moment somebody starts maybe giving an ovation for the preacher or something like that, all we start to hear is, oh, man worship, man worship. Y'all not worship man, but we can, we can follow him. There's nobody around here worshiping man, by the way. But you know and I know, maybe not for all of you, but for some of you, you know and I know, you know everything about this guy. You haven't, written, you haven't written your preacher a thank you letter or your parents a note of gratitude. <laughs> I think we're going, we gave the preacher something on his birthday. I think we're going a little too far there. We don't want to worship man, elevate man. Are you crazy? Hey man, from the wilderness, from the wilderness, go to the next one, please. Is man merely a mistake of God's or God merely a mistake of man? Go to the next one, please. We see that, now, now listen. I know a lot of people, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this carefully and sincerely. I know a lot of good Christian people, and I mean it, good Christian people, have a tattoo. Minda, one of my best friends, got saved later in life. He's got a sleeve of tattoos. I've got his picture in my office uh, on, my, on, my, on my bookshelf there where, where 
We're together, man. He's a, he's a good man. He's a great man. He got saved later in life. He has a sleeve of tattoos. He's ashamed of it. Frankly, he's embarrassed that the world has permanently marked him. That's not the issue. The issue is uh, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Well, what's wrong with that? How come we can't get that? I saw a YouTube video of a preacher saying it was okay. And how come? Listen to me, friend. That is from the wilderness. From the wilderness. And there's some tension in the room right now. But hey, we've got to deal with this. You need to understand that the devil is not playing games with your life, teenager. You need to understand that he knows who you are. And he has infiltrated the four corners of the house with every allowable way that he can get in. To indoctrinate you with worldly philosophy and celebrity. Go to the next one. Oh, here we go. Money is everything. Money is life. It is everything. The CEO wrote it. And watch this. Used to be back in the day, Christian people didn't think this way. Used to be back in the day, a Christian teenager, they, they wouldn't even entertain that thought. It's not about money. It's about souls. It's not about money. It's about being faithful. We would never look at a missionary and say, man, they've wasted their life. They don't have nice clothes. They don't have nice food. They don't have a nice car. We would never have entertained a thought like that. But sitting in this room, we are worshiping the God of the almighty dollar. We have sold out. We have sold out. Where the Bible says, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, not on earth, where rust and moth doth corrupt. We have bought in. We're in it to get rich, man. We've got a plan B. We've got to get a degree. We've got to get all of this stuff so that we can accumulate all of this stuff because money, while we would never say it with our mouth, in our heart we believe that money is everything. Money is life. It is everything. My dad offered me $5 million to work with him for five years and I'm not saying I'm a super Christian, but in my heart I knew, man, I'm called to preach. This is what I was born to do, made to do. Five years would become 10, become 15, become 20. I wasn't trying to stack up a lot of money and then maybe go serve God. That's not the way that it works. But in today's society, in your generation, this wind from the wilderness, and it's everywhere, isn't it? Our addiction to materialism. You, you talk about apprehension. One of the biggest apprehensions that keep young people from selling out to God. I don't know how much money I'm going to make. That's it. Hey parents, I love you, but you know it's true. One of your biggest apprehensions and fears is, man, will my grandchildren, will, my ch will they go off across an ocean somewhere? And all of us got to wrestle with that, and all of us have to surrender to that. But parents, listen to me. Money is not everything. It is not life. It is not everything. That's from the wilderness. It's from the wilderness. The wilderness is a far-off place. I mean, it's time that we understand that Satan is using these things. All of these things. You say, well, you didn't... Listen, all of these things from the, from the gay agenda to the, to the club lifestyle to the materialism to the celebrities that we literally worship. All of these things. Satan is using these things to collapse the house. You can take it off the screen. I want to say something else about the wilderness. Not only is the wilderness a far off place, but I want you to think about this. The wilderness is a forsaken place. Biblical wilderness, teenager, and this is very important. It is barren. 
It's not a bunch of trees. It's not a forest. This is not a forest. This, this whirlwind that came from the wilderness, it's not a forest. It, it, biblical wilderness is barren. And let me tell you something about wind in a barren land. Uh, when wind whips through these forsaken, barren places, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes along. That's the nature of wind. That's the nature of desolation. You let a windstorm or a tornado start somewhere in a cornfield in, in Indiana, and as it sweeps across that field, it picks up steam and picks up steam and picks up steam. I lived for 13 years in West Virginia. Uh, it's a mountainous area. We lived in a valley. Never had a tornado. Never. Never had a windstorm. Too many hills. Too many uh, barriers. The wind couldn't pick up enough steam to get strong. But teenager, this wind that comes from the wilderness, this whirlwind that comes from a forsaken place, generation after generation after generation, it has grown stronger and stronger and stronger. That's why we're dealing with things today that Pastor Wilkerson never would have thought we would be dealing with. I'm going to tell you why. Because this wind has, has been met with very few obstacles, very few barriers. It has grown in all the transgender, all the, all the craziness. And we say, man, where did this come from? This is the result of silent generations. This is the result of compromised pulpits. This is the result of scared teachers and teenagers. This is a wind that has come from the wilderness that has gained and gained and gained and gained. And all around us, all around us, it is collapsing houses, collapsing churches, collapsing homes. And what can we do? Amen. What can we do? Brother Brown, I hear you preach that message this afternoon, and I see all of these subtle ways that Satan has infiltrated. I mean, everything. Ads on, on TV commercials, clothing brands with satanic messages. What can we do? Amen. Is Brother Scott Lyons here? Where is he? I thought I saw him somewhere. Is he here? Raise your hand, Brother Scott. I thought, there he is, right back there. I was real excited about this message once upon a time. I'm excited about it right now. And I was in the youth center telling Brother Scott about it. And somewhere along in our conversation, he looked at me and he said, oh yeah. And I said, it's true, isn't it? It gets, it gets, it gets fat, uh, stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes along, as it sweeps through. He said, oh yeah. And somewhere along the line, he mentioned a windbreak. And I was intrigued by that. I mean, we're talking about like, on I-80, if you were to take I-80 to Iowa, you would see mile after mile after mile of cornfield, nothingness, barrenness. But you let a house pop up, you let a farm pop up, and you're going to see some trees around it. Those trees are planted on purpose. They are there. Teenager, hear me. They are there by design. They are there. It's not an accident that they're surrounding the house, protecting from the wind, protecting from the force of the whirlwind. Wind breaks is what they're called. And teenager, tonight, uh, we need a couple of things to happen. Uh, we need some wind breaks tonight in this generation. Two things, and I'm done. Two things, and I'm going to be done. Number one, you're thinking with me. You're thinking with me. Thinking about your parents and your pastor. Thinking about, who would say this, Brother Judah? In my life, in my life, God has planted a tree. I'm thinking of them right now. I can give you their name. I, I know who they are. I can see their face. There is a tree 
that stands against the wind from Satan. It is in my life. God's placed it in my life. He's placed him, her, mom, dad, Sunday school. It is. I'm thinking of a tree right now. Would you raise your hand if you're thinking of a tree? A real person, a real person. I'm thinking of one right now. You can put your hands down. Pastor, would you stand up, please, and stand right here? Please, would you stand here? Let me tell you something, my friends. This right here, this is a tree. This is a tree. We don't always understand the trees. We don't always agree with the trees. But the truth of the matter is, you and I know they are planted by God on purpose. And one of the things that needs to happen tonight is you need to say, I'm going to thank God for the trees in my life. I have no idea what was going on with Job's kids. I've not studied it enough, but I'll say this. In, in a father, in Job, they had a tree. They had a man who prayed. If you go back to chapter, verse number five, I'll read it for you. It says, and it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, listen to this, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, listen to this, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus, did Job continually. You may not understand every decision your mom and dad make. You may not agree why they won't let you have a phone or go to the friend's house. You may not get it right now. Or the preacher, why he preaches the way that he does. Why the standards have to be so high. Why the rule. You may not get it. You may not agree. You may not understand. But let me tell you something. If you've got a tree in your life, they're praying for you. They might be praying for you right now. You might have a mom and dad back home right now saying, man, it may be that my son or my daughter are sinning. It may be. And God, I hope they get something out of youth conference. I hope they get something substantial. And hey, you don't have to understand the tree, but you ought to thank God for the tree. Teenager, I'm tired. I'm tired of watching young people say, I don't need this. And they step away. And they step away and they get sucked up in a satanic whirlwind. And a few months, days, years later, the house is collapsed. You ought to thank God for the trees in your life. I'm talking about mom and dad. I don't got time to get into it, but if you come from a Christian home, I could take you to our teen church, Brother Ricky. You could do even more. You could take you to all kinds of young people. They would do anything, teenager. They would do anything to have a mom and dad that took, you, took them to church, that had devotions with them, that dragged them to church on a Wednesday night. I was that way. My mom and dad didn't go to church. I love them. They're good. They did the best that they could, but there was no Bible. There was no God in the home. Man, as soon as I started figuring things out, man, I would have given anything for my mom to go to church. I would have given anything. I I'd still give anything for my dad to walk into a service and you have that you've been born with that you've been raised in that and instead of getting behind the tree and thanking God for the tree we whine we complain we criticize I'm going to tell you right now, man, we might have revival if God's teenagers got a big dose of gratitude in their hearts. I mean, why does it take us seven messages, eight messages to realize how good God has been? And the goodness of God is in the trees that he's put in your life. You ought to get behind them and thank God for them. If you're sitting here right now saying, oh, man, worship, man, you're, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The first thing that needs to happen is we need to be grateful for the trees. Thank you, Pastor. You can be seated. Second thing that needs to happen. I'm almost done. Second thing that needs to happen. And this is so simple, isn't it? We need more trees. 
Teenager, we need more trees. I'm talking about young people that are planted on purpose. Young people who understand the force of satanic attack. Yeah, maybe you have to grow up a little bit, mature a little bit, but I think you can comprehend this in 6th grade and 7th grade and 8th grade, the fact that Satan is after your life, and you're going to have to stand at some point. We need more trees. Hey, we need trees of purity. I'm not just talking the talk. I'm saying that in this generation, with all the godlessness and all the nastiness that we can put on a screen this immoral generation teenager we need trees of purity we need we need young people in sixth grade seventh grade eighth grade ninth grade tenth grade eleventh grade twelfth grade that will say i'm not just going to get swept up in this culture i'm not just going to drift away and step out from i and i'm not just going to be thankful for the tree i'm going to be a tree i'm going to be a tree Man, I tell a story all the time about taking a stand in the public school, bringing a Bible. It's a stirring story. People get emotional. I get emotional telling it. You know, the next year after that story, I went to the Christian school. I went from a high school of, I don't know, I mean, at least a thousand students, and I'd say certainly more than that. And I went to the Christian school, little one-room Christian school. We opened the day with, with a pledge to the Bible, pledge to America, we opened the day with prayer. We opened the day with singing songs out of a hymnal. Like 25 minutes into the school day, I thought I was at camp. I thought I had died and gone to heaven. Like, this is the best thing in the whole wide world. And then we had our first break. They didn't have a lot of hallways. They didn't have a lot of places to go. In that Christian school, the break was, you know, you walk down the one hallway in the church and go to the bathroom whether you need to go or not. I mean, that was the break. And I went to the restroom. There wasn't hundreds of guys. Just three or four. Hey, but they were just as dirty. They were talking just as filthy. Same exact innuendos, guys. Same exact innuendos that I heard in the public school. And can I say, it was just as difficult in that bathroom to say, hey, man, I don't want to listen to that. You guys are wrong. That's not the way a Christian should talk. It was just as difficult there, my first year of Christian school, as it was my last year of public school, carrying a Bible, getting ridiculed. And all I'm saying is this, I'm glad I did it that first day of Christian school because there needed to be a tree in that Christian school that said, this is not, this is not the way that we talk this is not the things that we laugh at come on you listening to me right hey what do you, you you agree with the stuff that was on the screen or are you willing to say i'll be a tree of purity Amen. tree of purity Amen. a tree man on purpose Amen. we need some trees of purity Amen. we need some trees of soul winning it has been hit it has been hammered but I think God's trying to massage our hearts in this area. We need some young people that will be soul winners. Not just talk about winning souls. Not just casually show up and never really win anybody to cry. I'm talking about some trees. Man, I heard that story. Dr. Tom Williams heard that story. Witnessing to the people in the airplane. And I thought to myself, there's an 88-year-old man who has been a tree for generations. Of course he's going to witness the people on the plane. Of course he's going to spend hours in prayer. He's a tree. When was the last time you won somebody to Christ? Do you know this? I want you to think about this. Do you know that people are out there everywhere? 
be saved. Jesus put it this way. If you only knew, if you only knew, young people, if you only knew the amount of people that need the Lord, that want the Lord, every now and again, God throws a story uh, in a preacher's path to just remind him. I'll give it to you briefly. That same meeting in Iowa, I was delayed and I don't have time to develop the whole story, but I was delayed. I was trying to get to Washington, Iowa to preach to 700 teenagers or so. And full house there, I was going to preach that night. And I was trying to get there. I was going from Houston, Texas to, to Iowa. Uh, I forget the name of the town, but whatever. Where was it? Des Moines, Iowa. Trying to get to Des Moines, Iowa. Two flights canceled. Four flights delayed. And it was terrible. My son was waiting for me in a hotel. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know where he was. Joe Woosley had taken our junior high group, and I'm texting Joe like, hey, man, I'm delayed. I'm sorry. I'm not going to make it tonight. I'm, I mean, we're going back and forth. I'm freaking out. I am so furious at the state of Texas. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard everything is bigger and better in Texas, but their air service is terrible. I'm sorry. I'm so furious with the city of Houston. United Airlines had canceled two flights, delayed four. And the fourth delay, they said this. They said, they said, they said, we have the plane, everything's ready, the weather's good, but we have to delay the flight another hour. There's no pilot, no crew. And everybody in there went, ugh. After four delays, two cancellations. And I said to myself, man, that's it. That's it. I am mad. I went to the lady at the desk, had a smile on my face. I said, ma'am, I'm very upset. Who can I talk to to complain? She said, thank you for not complaining to me. Customer service is right down that way. <laughs> and I took off, man, like a tree. I mean, I'm walking, and I am upset. I get in the customer service line. There is a man behind me, sharp, young, intelligent guy. I looked at him. He looked at me. I looked at him. Our eyes connected, and we had that shared suffering bond, like people who had been in the military together, who had endured war. We had endured the Houston airport. And I just looked at him, gave him the, he was like, uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know. I said, I said, Chicago? He said, uh-huh. I said, I don't know about you, man, but I'm going to get something for free. I'm going to get something for free. I said, I'm going to complain to these people. I said, I want a free plane ticket. I want a free hotel. I want some free food. I want some free water. I mean, that's what I said. I said, I'm getting something for free. He said, absolutely, I am too. And this guy was, this guy was articulate, man. He could really, he said, I'm going to get something for free too. He said, I know how this works. I know the ins and outs. And I, you complain and you start high and then you work. He said, I might even get a, 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 a voucher for money. I might, I said, good, man. And, and all through customer service, we were complaining to each other. I was losing my Christianity. Pastor, I did not say anything that would be a fireable offense, but... But I'm glad the conversation wasn't recorded. And, uh, just, just a critical spirit, mean-spirited, upset, just critical, tearing down, you know, United Airlines and their employees. And I mean, anyways, but uh, we're working our way through the line. And I was supposed to be in Iowa to preach. I was supposed to go to Iowa to preach. 
to all these teenagers. And I'm working my way through the line, and I look at this guy, and I said, yeah. I said, Chicago delayed four times. I said, I'm not even supposed to go to Chicago. I'm supposed to be in Iowa. He said, what? I said, oh, yeah, yeah, these real competent people here at United Airlines, they canceled my flight to Iowa not once but twice, sent me to Chicago. Now they delay it four times. I said, I'm not even supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in Iowa working our way through the line. He says, Iowa? He said, what are you supposed to do in Iowa? Supposed to preach to 700 teenagers. And I said, uh, preach. <laughs> I went. All of my unbelievable argumentative skills amounted to zero, not even free water. <laughs> they gave me nothing. I'm walking out the walk of shame back down to C42 or whatever it is in Houston. And this guy that I would, was, uh, criticizing with he was behind me so I kind of slowed down we got next to each other I said you get anything he said no <laughs> I said man these people are incompetent and cheap <laughs> and uh, I said I'm sorry man I said what's your name hadn't even gotten his name I said what's your name he looked at me and said my name's Abdel I said huh he said, my, now, maybe if your name is Eddie, or Joe, or Adam, you might be used to hearing your name all the time. My name is Abdel. I don't hear that a whole lot, all right? I said, Abdel. He said, yes. I said, my name's Abdel. He said, huh? He looked at me and said, you don't look like an Abdel. I said, I know. And, uh, but... I said, but it's true. Look, I pull out my wallet. I did. I pull out my wallet and I show him my ID, my name, Abdel Kareem Isa Judah. He's like, man, you're really an Abdel. I said, oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm all in, man, with the Abdel. And it was just neat, honestly. It was just neat to meet him. It was just neat to. He looked at me and he said, he said, hey Abdel, I'm curious. What would you say preaching to those people in Iowa? What were you gonna say? And I don't know if it was the, the, the tense moment. I don't know if it was the frustration of the day. I don't know what it was, but I broke, man. I started to cry. I said, let me tell you something. Here's what I would say. I, I would have say, said to them the same thing I would say to you, Abdel. I would have said to them that there's a God that is real, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he loves them, that he died for them, that he wants to receive them and save them. That's what I would have said to them. That's what I'm saying to you now. Do you want to hear more about that? And he looked at me, and he didn't bring up the Quran. He didn't bring up a mosque. He didn't bring up anything. He looked at me, he said, yes. I said, great. I had my bag right there, pulled out my Bible, showed him the gospel, gave him the Romans road, said, do you understand this? He said, yes. I said, do you believe this? He said, I've never believed it before, but I'm starting to believe it right now. I said, do you want to call on Christ right now to ask him to save you? He said, yes, I do. And Abdel got saved right there, right there, got saved. We walked back to the, to the gate and we're waiting for hours. Abdel comes up to me. He, he's got a big old thing of pizza. He says, hey, man, we're going to be here for a while. He said, you want a piece of pizza? I said, no, Abdel. I was just enjoying, you know, Abdel. Abdel was like, who's on first, you know? Making a youth conference. Good. Hello, Abdel. Hello, Abdel. How are you, Abdel? Very good, Abdel. I said, Abdel, I'm not hungry, man. I don't want to eat this late at night. Trying to lose some weight. Yeah, right. But, but, he said, okay, okay. He walked away. Came back a few minutes later. Had some water. 
He said, hey, I know we couldn't get any free water. Do you want some water? I said, actually, I've already got some. And I said, I said but thank you anyways. And he said, he said, okay. Came back a few minutes later with one of those travel neck pillows. He said, hey, we're going to be here a long time. He said, you want my, I bought a neck pillow. He said, you want a neck pillow? I said, actually, Abdel, the neck pillows hurt my neck. I said, they don't really help me. He said, he said, oh, okay, okay. He said, I can go get another one. I said, no. I said, I'll. we finally get on the plane. I take my seat way in the back, way in the back, scrunched up, you know. <laughs> Thank you, United Airlines, way in the back. See a man stand up in the front, walks down. His, he comes into view. It's Abdel. He looks at me and he says, hey, he says, I'm sitting in first class. He said, you want to trade seats? I didn't want his pizza, water, or neck pillow. But every man has his price. I stood up. I said, absolutely, Abdel, I'll take that. <laughs> Before I got the first class, he shook my hand, and this is what he said. You've given me so much tonight. I wanted to give you something. Hey, I'm just talking about being a tree, just, just trying to give the gospel out, and I'm not perfect in this area, and nobody in this room is, but how about trying to win somebody every day? How about just everywhere you go, having some tracks? How about, you say, people, I'm young, Brother Judah, I'm not a preacher, I'm not asking you to be a preacher tonight, I'm asking you to be a tree of purity, to be a tree of soul winning. A tree of having a surrendered heart. I need to hurry, and I'll be done in 13 minutes, but watch this, having a surrendered heart. Teenager, a tree. Everybody knows where a tree is. And we need some young people that are so surrendered to God, everybody knows it. They don't have to be talked into it every other youth conference or camp. If the preacher's funny enough, if the message is compelling enough, if the service, if the song is good enough and everything blends just right, then maybe, 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 I'll take another trip to the altar and maybe, 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 I'll tell God, I'll do whatever you want me to do except this, this, and this in my heart. Hey, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about young people that are planted, that where you know and everyone around you knows, hey, whatever God wants, that's what I'm going to do. I am surrendered. Whatever, I'm a tree, a tree of surrender. It's the joke around our church. Pastor Wilkerson, I don't know if he knows the joke, but I'm going to let him in on a joke. It's a joke around our church. At any moment, at any moment, we could all wake up. There'll be a note on the front door of the church. God's called me to the mission field. See you later. And he'll be gone. It's a nightmare, but it's true. You want to know why? Hey, watch this. Because this man has surrendered to God. Everybody knows it. I know he's not perfect, but he's surrendered. I want to be surrendered to God. I can remember coming home from church on Sunday night, walking through our little ghetto area and through our house that was filled with, I mean, my, listen, it was, they loved me, but it wasn't a Christian home. Cigarette smoke and alcohol and bad music through the house. And man, I'd been in church all Sunday night and I'd get to the roof of the house on a summer night and I'd look up in the sky there on 127th and Western and I would pray to God and I would say, God, I know that you're up there, but if I were you, I wouldn't want to look down here. There were all kinds of wickedness going on in that town, drug deals, all kinds of stuff. God, if I were you, I wouldn't want to look down here. If I were you, I wouldn't want to listen to what's going on down here. But as a teenager, as a teenager, not as a married man, not as a Bible college student, not as a preacher. I'm talking about uh, as a 14, 15 year old young man, I would look in the sky and say, but God, 
If you are listening and if you are looking, would you please use me someday, God? Use me someday. I was preaching with you in Arizona and we spent some time in the hotel afterwards and we had a long conversation and Brother Brown asked me, he said, Abdel, he said, it seems, you know, sometimes when you preach, it seems like God isn't on it and he's anointed it. And what is it, Abdel? Well, how does that seem to happen? And I looked at him and I just said, Joe, I said, it's all I've ever wanted. It's all I've ever wanted is to be used of God. All I've ever wanted. I'm not here to get money tonight, fame tonight, followers tonight. I'm not interested in any of it. We're the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my life, my soul, and my all. And we need some young people that will get that mentality that says, I am surrendered to God. And everybody's going to know it. I'm a tree. We need some trees. Joe, would you come up here? I'll close with this illustration. I don't even know where I'm at in the sermon. Doesn't matter. We'll close with this. Man, this is Joe. And I love this guy. I love this guy. I came to the church... However many years ago it was, Joe was a sophomore in high school. He's a sophomore in high school. I was trying to drum up people to go to camp. I felt like nobody wanted to go to camp. You remember that? Nobody wanted to go to camp. And I, no matter how much I hyped it, man, it's going to be awesome. You know, I'm trying to talk our kids into going to camp, and nobody wanted to go. I caught Joe in the front door of our high school, right outside there. I said, Joe, you going to camp? What'd you say? Nope. <laughs> That's what he said. And I looked at him like, man. And I said, why not? And he had some reason I have to work, I have to do. I don't know what all his reasons were. And I don't know why I did this. But I looked at Joe and I said, Joe, let me tell you something. I mean, this is like right outside of our high school, middle of the day. I said, Joe, let me tell you something. Things around here are going to change. <laughs> he looked at me, he's like, huh? I, I said, man, I said, soon everybody's going to want to go to camp. I said, you're going to miss out. I said, soon uh, people are going to be signing up. We're going to have to take multiple vehicles. I said, everybody's going to want to go. We're going to have unbelievable camp services. I said, Joe, didn't I say it? I said, Joe, we're going to have hour and a half long invitations, two hour invitations. We're going to see people crying at the altar. We're going to see them weeping. We're going to see them surrendering their lives to God. I'm just preaching up a storm to Joe right in front of the high school. I don't know what was going on in his head, but he's looking at me. And with each sentence, he's like, He didn't go to camp that year. Didn't go. Why didn't you go to camp that year, Joe? No, he didn't go. I don't think he went the next year, now that I think about it. He went his senior year. But it's not about going to camp. Teenager, watch this. Somewhere along the line. I don't know exactly when the switch flipped. I don't know. I, I don't know when exactly it happened. I don't know what exactly came together. But somewhere along the line, Joe went from being the teenager that I was trying to talk into going to camp. Joe went from being that kid to being right here. Hey, watch this, to being a tree. I'm talking about standing with me. And I appreciate it because he's a young man. How old are you, Joe? 
22. He's 22 years old, but let me ask you a question, Joe. Are you fully surrendered to God? Yes, sir. You want to be pure? Yes. You want to live for Jesus? Yes, sir. Do you love the Lord? Yes, sir. You willing to do anything? Yes, sir. And by the way, anybody that knows Joe knows that it's true. Somewhere along the line, as a 22-year-old man, and it happened before that, probably happened in his teenage years, he said, you know what? Maybe that youth pastor isn't crazy. Maybe the church isn't crazy. Maybe I ought to step up and join in and be a tree and be a tree and just stand there with him and, and believe the Bible. John, would you come up here? John is his brother. I wasn't even John's youth pastor. He, he owes me nothing. He's a good man. He's married. Well, uh, far better than he deserves. And he's, I mean, just look at him. No, but I mean, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when it happened. I'm sure when I first came, you know what? It's funny. When I first came to Hammond Baptist and I preached a sermon, I was preaching just like this. I had somebody look at me, one of our students, and I love them now, and they love me now. Saw them not that long ago. But one of the students looked at me. They were seniors at that time. They, and they said, they were talking to their friends. They didn't know that I could hear them. They said, who, who is this? Where did he come from? Why is he preaching like this? Does he think this is youth conference? I don't know what you thought when I first came. But it wasn't long, teenager. It wasn't long. To watch this. A tree. I was doing, a friend of mine sent me a little article. Listen to this and don't, don't miss this because we're closing the sermon with this. You would think that the mighty sequoias need roots that are planted. They're, they're 350 feet high. You would think that they would need deep roots, but they do not. You study the sequoias, the redwood forest. Their roots are not deep. They are, they are, they're spread out. Matter of fact, they're entangled. One root entangles with another one. And while they're shallow roots, they're strong because there's multiple roots entwined, entangled together. And somewhere along the line in Joe's life and in John's life, all the things we could talk about, man. I could talk sports with these guys all the time. I could talk, you know, NBA, NFL, all day long with these guys. But we always find ourselves talking about the Bible, talking about a sermon, talking about a verse. Man, I appreciate it. Hey, these are just some guys that are trees. John, do you love God? Absolutely. With everything that you have. Yes, sir. You want to stay pure? Yes, sir. You willing to do anything? I need some trees, teenager. Some trees. Amen. Jeff, Adam, Dave, Mark, come on, guys, get up here. I chose some guys. Watch this. This is not an illustration. Are you looking at me? This is not an illustration. Join up, guys. Get in there. None of us are perfect. I mean, we are not at all. Listen, we are not at all everything that we need to be. But you know in the blue, you know, man, these guys aren't perfect, but they do love the Lord. They are committed to God. I mean, they are serious about serving God. They are the first ones at the altar. They're not perfect at all. And I hesitate to bring them up here, but I believe that in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, in high school, God's given us some trees, man. Trees of soul winning. Trees of purity that understand that Satan has a target on us, but we're willing to stand. Now, let me ask you a question, teenager. Where are the trees in your youth group? Where are the trees in the orange section, in the purple section, in the blue section? Who will come join us and say, yes, Brother Judah, they will be a tree for God. We'll be we will stand. We understand that Satan is real. We're not playing games. We're going to join in with our parents and our pastor and our youth and our friends. And we're going to stand against the wind from the wilderness. Where are you? Some trees. Hey, if we don't, you guys stay here. If we don't have some trees... 
Let me tell you what's going to happen to your youth group. It'll be swept away. We don't have some trees. Let me tell you what will happen to your family, friend. It'll be swept away. Those wind breaks, we may not always understand. We may not always had a young man come to me today, or the other day, and, and he's sincere, and God was doing a work in his heart. He said, brother, this is what he said to me. This is just what he said. He said, brother Judah, I don't think uh, HB needs another athlete. I'm struggling with even to play sports. He said, I don't know. I don't know what God is doing, but maybe I should give up sports. Maybe I should just go soul winning all the time. A young man came to me and said that. I don't know if that's what he should do or not, and it really doesn't matter. I like the fact that he's a tree. A tree. And we need some of that in this generation. Where there's no question. Hey, entwined. Entwined. Talking about not just in the church service, out of the church service. On the phone, wherever. Trees of standards, purity, separation, soul-winning, surrendered hearts. Teenager, there's a great whirlwind targeting the four posts of the house. It's all around us. It will collapse the house. It will collapse the house if there aren't some trees to be windbreaks. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Where are you at tonight? Is there a young person tonight that'll say, Brother Judah, I want to stand as a tree in this generation. I fully understand. I fully understand, Brother Judah, that Satan is real and he is targeting us. I fully understand the music of our day We need some trees of surrender. We need some trees. Are you listening to me? Some trees, some teenagers that'll say, I'm not playing games, man. Hey, Satan's not playing games. We need some young people that'll say, Youth Conference 2022, here it is. I'm going to surrender. Everybody's going to know it. Hey, everybody's going to know it. There's a wind from the wilderness, man. And it is designed to collapse the house. And I don't know what God is doing tonight, but maybe he's calling some young men to preach the gospel and you're surrendering tonight. Maybe he's called. I don't know what he's doing. Here's what I know. We need some trees.